Good evening everybody and welcome to Let's Talk Assassin's Creed, your only one podcast for all things Assassin's Creed. In today's episode we're going to be taking a second look at the Siege of Paris. Now the reason why I'm doing the second look is just because with when Siege of Paris came out and my next scripted date, it only gave me 48 hours to do a review and I don't feel 48 hours was enough and what's better than doing a single review then having two reviews because our deep dives worked so perfectly the first time because we had an old co-host so why don't we have a new co-host for a second proper look at the DLC it's technically not a deep dive it's more of a review part two James welcome to the party <laughs> thanks Declan hi everybody uh, welcome to episode 94 of Let's Talk Assassin's Creed. So yeah, we're going to talk about Siege of Paris, the second um, expansion, the second DLC for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Um, it was released early August. We've both played through the entire story. Um, I realised this evening when I was doing a, a quick, I quickly dived back into it to have a look at the map and just explore the world. And I realised I still have a couple of world events to do. The um, the offering altars, um, but I have completed all the other um, events. What about you, Declan? Have you finished the entire story and, and world events? Story, world events, no. <laughs> there... Understood. But Cairns? No, I, I hate one Cairns. one or two, isn't there? <laughs> I hate Cairns. At, at this moment, it's proper cheesy, but I got gifted Game Pass, and it ends in 10 days. So I was like, I've done the story. I've got 10 days to play games I've never played before. I'm rushing them. I'll come back because I really need to make a Grim Reaper outfit with the Rebel outfit, is it? And then the Scythe. So it's my plan. Once. You've just reminded me of something else I haven't done. I've only got myself up to level three with uh, Pierre and the the sort of, what, what would you call them? They're like procedurally generated missions, aren't they? I just call um, them so Hitman no, I, missions. I have, Hitman missions. We'll call them Hitman missions. I've only got. I didn't go all the way and collect all of the um, the armor. I've got more to do in Frankia. Let's put it like that. I thought I was done. I'm not done. <laughs> one um, one trick for the Hitman missions, if you if you're interested, uh, Joraptor actually pointed it out. Archers are better than melee because archers always stay back, so they're less likely to take damage, meaning you get more rewards. So don't take, I think I mentioned that in the first Siege of Paris, but again, don't take me like that episode and yeah, good tip. Good tip. You can, let's be honest, you can probably carve through them yourself, can't you? Without uh, too much help from uh, some random uh, rebels. They never see me coming. Exactly. They're all, they're all exactly. dead for my rebels. Get there. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I tell you what, as, as we, there's, there's a central story in the DLC which we probably should talk about at length. But should we talk about the world events and the overall map first and get that bit out of the way? Can do, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what I really liked about the DLC was a small map. You could ride from one end to the other in five minutes, ten minutes. Um, I explored the whole area first. I completed all of the side stories and... Um, the Cairns. I quite like a Cairn. I'm going to say it. I quite like a Cairn. Maybe I'm strange. It's fine. Um, but it was just really nice to know that you could go in and within a couple of hours, you've kind of explored the entire area. You've got familiar with the area. You found all the little world events and little stories that you might want to come back to. And then you can get on with the um, 
with the main event. There is an interesting world event, which I don't know if you've seen some of the uh, the updates from Access the Animus in the last uh, few days. So there is an, a, a world event which connects to the Hidden Quest, which we should talk about in a minute as well. Have you seen those those updates? Yes, I've been following quite closely. Um, I'm quite impressed because I remember doing the Hidden Quest and then I was Adam and AC had to mean something. Like, I know it was cheesy that AC could be Assassin's Creed, but I knew there had to have been something. And to see that Assassin's Creed wasn't giving you a clue on a box or a clue on a code, it was go to a physical location from Paris. Yes. yes. Was perfect. You know, it's a community event that I want to see more happening in main game, not just DLCs. Yeah, it was fun to watch people pick it apart, wasn't it? And see the, the connections from, was it Saint-Germain? And then to the real Saint-Denis location, the Isu language that was hidden in various places. It was a very interesting sort of um, investigation to watch it unfold. Um, yeah, I, I, like I say, I really enjoyed this as a DLC. It was, it was not too big. Um, very straightforward story. I'll tell you one thing I will say, and I'd like to get your opinion on this as, as the pro here on the show. I felt that Siege of Paris, it has a linear story. It has quite a short story. I think it's only 14, maybe 16 individual quests or memories, if you like. I felt like it was the most traditional Assassin's Creed story we've had in a long time um, because of its length and its relative simplicity, as well as, of course, the focus on assassinations. What do you think? I would agree on if we ignored the ending, because the ending kind of is annoying. Go on. So Assassin's Creed has always played fast and loose with historical accuracy. It still tries to keep a lot of historical accuracy. That's its whole premise. But the final fight with King Charles, the two options, one of them is historically incorrect. Ah. And... It's the same as the problem that I had with the um, final mission in Odyssey of Aspia. Historically, she lived. That was historically correct. After the event, she lived and disappeared. There's no known death there, but she did continue. But you could kill her at the end of Odyssey. I would... Okay, so let we, we should we do... Let's, let's quickly talk about Odyssey and then we'll come back to see Paris. So I, I didn't feel that disagreed with the history because Aspasia does disappear from the historical record. Now, whether she disappears because she walks out of the, the Temple of Cosmos and just goes off into the sunset or whether because Cassandra kills her, that for me didn't clash with what's known. But for Charles, right. <laughs> so when I got into the final fight with him, I killed him because I didn't see that there was an option to not kill him. And it was only afterwards when I was chatting with some community members and they went, did you not see the option to not kill him? So tell me, Declan, what did I do wrong and that led me to end up killing him in the, in the final fight? Well, it's kind of weird because there's no... How do I, well, this is all spoilers. I forgot to mention at the start. This is all spoilers. Oh, yeah. This is a bit late now. Spoilers. Um, Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it in the Twitter. Um, so you're meant to do the exact same mechanics, throw him in the fire because he hates fire. You're meant to do all that. But you're meant to get behind him and pull the same lever he pulled to shut down the gate. And then you throw him 
behind the gate, trapping him. Oh, my word. So there's no actual... It's what kind of annoyed me about the final boss, because I really think if it was a linear ending of throwing him behind the gate, I think they could have had a very linear ending that would have been more impactful, seeing as historically King Charles did see out the entire raid. So I really think the two cutscenes at the end are very similar with uh, who's deciding to be the next Parisian leader and going back home was very simple, but I think it could have been more impactful if you were forced to trap him. And he has a line saying that France will never rest. France will always be against the invaders. And that would have been a bit more impactful that it would make that Eva feels like she's done her justice stopping the war coming to England, but she must also feel like France may never be truly at rest. Which would be a good nod, in my opinion, to Unity, because France was a really big unrest in Unity. So, true. having King Charles saying France will never rest, and then you think to yourself, well, look at Unity, France never rested, and it had invaders, which would technically have been the Assassins and Templars, because they don't natively belong to Paris. They invaded different countries to have their influence. So it's a mind boggle, but that's how I would have played it out. I would have classed the Temple Assassins as the next invaders, and that's what's going to put Paris at an unrest. I like that interpretation. I'll tell you what, I'm going to extend that interpretation. And I'm going to say that I killed Charles uh, the Fat in the same way as uh, the Revolutionary Council killed Louis the Sixteenth. So there's my uh, there's my mirroring <laughs> of uh, historical events, even if it's completely ahistorical. You know, um, I I don't even remember him. I, I remember you walk into the room with him. I don't remember the lever at all. I'd have to go and I mean I can't replay the mission because we can't replay missions, but. I don't remember that at all. I'll have to look at it on YouTube to see what I missed because uh, I just went in and thought, I've got to fight this guy. He's coming at me and I've got to stop it. Well, I was just messing around. Like, I don't like fighting in Valhalla. I'm really suck at it. I like to be ninja stealth. So mm. I was dodging a lot of attacks because I, even though the power level is 200 and I am 360, uh, I do have my difficulty on the highest setting still. So enemies... Yeah pack a punch in this game for me so it's always best to avoid so the fight was taking me about half an hour because i kept dying and then when oh. i found this interact button by a lever and i pressed it and i realized oh, we could trap him I was like, ah, brilliant perfect brilliant. trap him it was quite a frustrating final fight i i took me quite a while to work out that you had to get in close to those braziers before you stun him and then you can throw him on the brazier but yeah it was it took me quite a while to uh, to get on top of that um and, and get it done um let's go back a bit so the events that lead up to the final fight so we've got a linear story of of exploring frankia and trying to make sure that the frankish king leaves england alone what did you feel about the overall story that we we went through well i'm trying not to upset any fans but I'm a little disappointed. I know I really did praise the DLC in the first um, deep dive, and I'll still praise it because there is a ton I love about it. I am with you on the world map, and the world map is a really great size. But now that I've actually played the whole story, I've gone read um, walkthroughs just to jog my memory for this episode, I kind of realise that I don't understand the story. Now, I know I've talked to Sisterhood and I've brought it with six keys, but she doesn't want England to come, uh, France to come to England for war. She doesn't want war. Makes sense. So she aligns with Siegfried. But mm. in my mind, mm-hmm. 
I'm kind of like... is not, not a peaceable guy, is he? No. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm thinking diplomatically how she went to King Alfred in the main game to try and work out peace instead of going to some lackey and then going to King Alfred. Why didn't she linearly go to King Charles first? Because one big line that sticks out to me is in when you first meet him, he says, you murder your way through another land and you think to stop me driving you back out with negotiation. And it's like, well, you don't expect war not to come to your country if he's basically claiming you've murdered your way through his own country. That's not going to get you anywhere. So I kind of feel like there wasn't enough payoff for the idea. You, you don't want war. You finally got a way of getting rid of war. But your way to not get war is just to murder everyone. Doesn't it mean that you're hunting for glory? Just like Dag said? <laughs> Interesting point. And you know, that's a good point because you can launch this story quite early on, can't you? From I think you only have to... Is it unlock settlement level 2? I believe so, yeah. Salt? So you, you make a good point there. It could be that you have a different opinion of Eivor and her story if you play through Siege of Paris early as opposed to us. We've completed the main game months ago and we're coming back to it now. Um, Eivor doesn't spend that much time negotiating in England, does she? Actually, no. that's not true. That's not true. There's a number of arcs where she's sort of playing off um, different factions and different powers. Uh, but there, there's a lot of death. <laughs> there's a lot of death in England. In the Essex arc, she does try and smuggle out the person's wife with Rolo yeah. to escape. And that was more diplomatic because it's essentially what Charles wanted. He wanted his wife back because that didn't end well. But I just kind of feel that when you look at the main game after you beat Dag and you do the Hampshire, I think it's the Hampshire arc, or is it Europe? It's one of the arcs um, by Jorvik. Um, there's a, the guy you face, he's um, he's very paranoid, but you can see there's a mirror about him being glory, and the glory's turned in paranoid because he still wants glory. Can't remember his name. Is it Halfdan? That's the your see my my memory of Valhalla. God, I've only played <laughs> the game through once, and it was. I mean, I finished it January, so my memory's really bad. I think Halfdan was in Jorvik. I think uh, uh, I can't remember who it was. Can't but remember. You know, you know, with the person I'm on about is answers on a postcard. If you can remember <laughs> which 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 of uh, England's arcs we find um, half done, I'm pretty sure it's Jorvik. I know uh, it's the top one because it's an Englishman who's being run by the uh, it's the Englishman who runs Jorvik that's being run by the Norse that betrays them in the end. Must be Jorvik then, mustn't it? Yeah. Oh, but there's it, also there's also Eurospire. Um, Norse, yeah, in Snottinghamshire. It's one of them arcs, but... Ah, whatever, yeah. It, it's in that arc <laughs> that you see that, uh, I think it's half done, he was very glory-hungry, but it's led him to Paranoid, and you see that's mm. what Dag was worried was going to happen to Eivor. And now when I look at the DLC for Siege of Paris, she's murdering away. I don't understand why she went after the um, bishop other than what Siegfried told her. Like she didn't do any normal reconnaissance. She just went after him because Siegfried said that he was a bad guy. Whereas Are we talking about the first of the three main targets? Yeah. Archbishop Engelwyn. Yeah. Yes. But when you look at the Order of Ancients in the main game, she gets this knowledge from um, Hatham, Hatham, and she learns about them, and she learns that when you do the London Arc and the 
the York Arc. I can't pronounce these old places. Let's, let's use the modern phrase. Yeah, the Yorkshire <laughs> Arc. Yeah. When you do the Yorkshire <laughs> Arc and the London Arc, you've got information of why you should kill these people. But when you kill Bishop Engelwyn, it's just because apparently he's a bad guy. I don't really there is, think... Hmm. There is a bit about... Oh, I forget the exact wording, but they're sort of mistreating the populace and he's got these weird religious practices called deliverances where he, yeah it's, it just it's kind of like he's just torturing people for fun that's how i interpret it yeah it was um, weird. He's, not, he's not a pl- no it was weird he's not <laughs> a pleasant guy is he i mean he probably deserved a a blade in the neck but um yeah do you know it's funny so you you felt that evil was was more of the same kind of combat and and killing everyone in the dlc yeah i feel like I could be wrong and I could be missing something, but really all the missions in that I remember is just fighting, killing, and you legitly do a siege on Paris. You legitly siege Paris, yeah, which you can't get back into, which sucks. But it's <laughs> like we'll come to you, that, I guess. <laughs> if you contrast it with Wrath of Druids, where she's meeting her cousin and she's helping her cousin and King Flan, and there's no option. Whereas here it's just, I met Siegfried, I don't know a lot about him, but I'm going to trust him, I'm going to murder everyone he tells me to murder, and I'll try and work with King Charles, even though King Charles hates us because we're murdering all the French people. So it's like, can you win, Eivor? One person doesn't trust you, and the other thinks you're murdering his home people. It's not a good way to diplomacy. I'm going to tell you, I had the complete opposite opinion of the story um, because I felt like at every stage when when Eivor had an opportunity to try not to fight, she tried to negotiate with the king, find an accord, find an agreement. So actually my opinion was, was more like um, it was a very different Eivor to what we've seen. Um, where she was looking for a peaceful solution, and it was only that the king was was unwell. Let's put it like that. He he was not a uh, mentally well man. Um, yeah, I felt that she was more of a negotiator, as General Grievous would say, um, rather than a than just an out and out warrior. Let's slaughter everyone because she does make a point to um, to Siegfried several times that he's already lost a lot of his tribe or his clan. In, in various battles, he can't afford another slaughter. So she was trying to find a sort of a another way. Um, I mean, yes, she still kills a lot of people. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was funny. I, I got the diff- a totally different um, sort of opinion of her approach. It was much more peaceful and um, diplomatic. Um, hey, the three targets still were eliminated. But Odo, all of the interactions with Odo were, were fascinating. The word, I will admit. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Like he, they meet. Is it three times? There's certainly the sort of a sequel meeting. It's two or three times, and all of their interactions are great. And he was such a an interesting guy to watch on the screen and to listen to. I felt. Um, I think um, the biggest pro I'd have to give the whole story, even though my interpretation it does feel a bit more calm. I think it's because there's no like links to the Templars. I think that's why I'm getting it. There's no real... <clears throat> Maybe that's where my mind's coming, because there's no links to why you have to kill these people, because they're not linked to the Templars or Order of the Ancients. 
So if there was more of that, I may have felt a bit different. But a biggest pro I would give is Ava does seem older. Like she's a bit more tired. She just wants it over. She doesn't want any more fighting. You know, it takes some courage for one person to carry the whole weight of a nation for peace. She has nothing to give England. England just tries to kill her clan, push her out of the country, and yet she's still walked into a foreign land and is like, hey, don't fight England. I don't want it. Can we just get this over with? So I do feel like it is a glory-hungry DLC, but there is that whole emphasis that she's old and she's carrying a whole country on her shoulders, which is weird because she's not even English. So she's an outsider True. fighting for England. True, but that Raven clan, they got to keep their home safe, haven't they? You know? Um, did you, um, what did you think about the three sort of set piece, let's use the phrase, black box assassinations? Oh, my jaw hit the floor. <laughs> Kid you not, literally doing the whole, the one that sticks out the most, I think, I love doing the other two, and the other two are great and very cinematic, but the only one that ever sticks in my mind because I felt it was more cinematic is the very first one because Englewin. yeah when you go through the slums how the world changes from a nice france to a gritty dark france and then to get into the church to hide in plain sight with that cloak to then be one of his subjects so he gets rid of all the guards to oh, then just it's so creepy off. isn't it that guy oh <sighs> I think I got creeped out the moment it was like, you have to undress. I was like, oh, I was like, come on, surely oh. not. This is not going where it's going. But yeah, hey, you still got a blade in the throat. So happy but days. I just kind of felt like that was more cinematic than the rest because of how Eivor became one of his subjects. She blended in plain sight. Yes. She was an assassin. It was one of the tenants hide in plain sight. And it just sticks out at that one physical moment she was a true assassin and i just love it and i want more of it do you remember then um the second kill which is you little mother or euphrasia um where she she puts on the is it the cloak of bella torres again i think that's right isn't it um and then she has to get the special dagger yeah and you had to um you had to go to a blood vat put the blood in that's the vat right thing. She That's fought right. either one of the disciples. That's right. I, I thought that was similar, similar, similar to Englewin, because you're getting right in close in the inner circle. There's just Rashardis, the queen, there's Euphrasia, and then you, Eivor. Um, you know, and it was just nice to see I think, the interplay of the three of them. So you get really close um, to the target. And again, like you say, a, a blade in the crowd or, or blending into the, the environment and with the target perfectly. It was fantastic. What about Goslin's uh, unique kill? Oh, which one was that one? That one? I, I was I watched it last night, but mine's gone blank. <laughs> it was I'll I'll that's right. It's um you it's during the siege and you infiltrate his church. Well, you don't have to, but if you do the sort of the hidden route, you get a key to a high level door, and you basically shake loose a vast crucifix. Oh yeah, from from the wall right up high, and it falls down on his head. It's a very satisfying kill, I have to say. It was weird. It was weird because at that moment, I just kind of realised, why doesn't Assassin's Creed Valhalla have more of these? Well, 
it's exactly. an environmental kill. Like, we can do the syndicate style with the hanging crates, but I would mm. love more, like, a precarious window ledge or something that like you could just knock on someone. That would be kind of more interesting. More destructive environments. You make a good point. Even if you didn't want to go from a development point of view, because I guess it's quite time-consuming to script all this and code all the animations and everything, but, yeah, can you include more, like you say, environmental objects or exploding jars or whatever it is um, Uh, that already exist in the game, but unlock some interesting kills? I think, from what I remember playing Valhalla, I think Valhalla has four unique uh, destructive environments. Um, the basic flame jars that you can shoot and blow up. Um, there's crates hanging above certain heads, like Syndicate. So you can just shoot them down. There's platforms that are a bit more wicker that you can shoot oh, yes. off the platforms. <laughs> They're good fun. And one that's technically not killer, and I, I think it was Six Keys who told me this, but I did test it and find it hilarious. You can shoot bags of flour. And it make like oh, a dust to cloud. make smoke bombs, yes. So yeah. I would class that as inter- environmental interaction. So you just shoot that, run up, stab them all. Definitely. But Definitely. I just don't like the the flower doesn't settle on you, so you look like a ghost. That would have been cooler. That would be nice. Then you kind of shake it off or something. You know, <laughs> that would be quite cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think one point I did want to bring about the Black Mox missions is seeing how the unique kills work in Siege of Paris, I'm upset that they didn't add them to York or London because, um, and I know I discussed with you the other day about this, but it's stuck in my mind, that the very first kill in London that you deal with the um, the final Templar before you get to the boat is the one that's on the execution stand. Uh, I think it was actually York. No, that might be York or London, but he's on an execution slant, and you can either climb on the top and air assassinate him, or you can just run through the crowd and fight his guards. But it mirrors assassin. I don't remember that one at all. I'm really sorry. It, <laughs> it, doesn't that mirror one of the kills in Revelations? It actually is identical to the E3 free trailer of Assassin's Creed One. Oh, okay. Because he's standing on a plinth. He's he execute executes one of the people for treason, and. He's there gobbing it off about how he's like the justice. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the more I watch it and then I play the Siege of Paris, I was like, wouldn't it be so cool if you could walk in the crowd and get a unique assassination where you could run and air assassinate him like the E3 trailer for Assassin's Creed 1? Or if you are on a side, you could get a unique kill with a bow. So like the crossbow he fires in the E3 trailer. Mm-hmm. I just thought... You don't have to do it for every kill because I think it was mad that every Zealot and Odd Ancients had a confession corridor. But set piece ones could have had unique assassinations. Definitely. I think we can say then that Siege of Paris has um, reminded us how satisfying that definitely gameplay is. Um, we didn't have them in Origins, we didn't have them in Odyssey. Uh, we didn't have them in the main game, like you said. You know, we had all those Order of Ancients targets, and even if you hadn't, like you say, there was how many zealots is there in, in fifty? I think. Right, that's a, that's a lot, of, lot of unique kills. But even if you'd have done the um, what were they called? Was it the paladins or the magisters? The sort of the, the senior members of the um, yeah, the four senior Ancients. members. Yeah, they could have been a little more. But do you know what? If if we've got it back, this kind of um, 
assassination structure. There's no reason we can't have it in future games. The I capability exists, doesn't it, within the, yeah. the animation and the coding of the game engine. So maybe it'll be back for the future. I hope so. I, I really want more unique curls. I think playing it again in Valhalla was just so satisfying. Just to pick my route and get in, get the secret passcode. I just loved it. I want it again. Yep. Yep. Same. I um I think we we spoke about this a lot last week, didn't we? But doing that first one with Engelwyn and cloak on, walking quietly through the town, gathering the information, understanding the route, sneaking in through the guards. It was just just perfect. perfect. I think the last thing I will say on it, what made it perfect is I missed a step. I went to the slums, but I never went to find the guard's daughter, the guy's daughter who was Minister Silver. So I didn't find her. I just found the um, the slums with, I can't remember who it was, but it gives you a passcode for, I think it's John 16. Yes, that's right. Something I just like yeah. I just found that, went through the gates, talked to some guy, picked up the cloak, and I was like, it's so accessible. You don't have to do every <laughs> step. You can do enough steps to get in, and that's just so accessible. It was so easy and so rewarding. Yeah, it was. It was. I, I enjoyed it very much. Did you when we when we first arrive in uh, Melon with um, Siegfried, it opens up a couple of branching options for us as the story. So we've got the main story. We can go to the Paris slums and start exploring there. Um, we can do our side quests for Pierre, um, voiced by Dan Genot, um, who voiced Arno. So happy days. Nice to hear his, his voice back in Assassin's Creed. And we open up an option. Um, we have we have to interact with a note in the main hall. But we open up another quest called Hidden. Um, did you do Hidden first, or did you save it till last? Well, now you've confused the hell out of me, so I will admit that on the show, because <laughs> I didn't know there was a note. Like, I did Melon, did the first quest, and as I was doing a mission for Pierre, I found a hidden one to him by accident. Interesting. I didn't, I didn't know it was there. I just found it by a viewpoint, so I did the tomb. And then I found a note inside the tomb that started hidden. So I was like, oh. So that's how I, I started it. it. Well, this is great. I mean, this shows that there's multiple ways of opening up or unlocking this um, this story. I So after you complete the sort of the intro story and you're in Melon, um, I basically explored the town and I was repeatedly mashing the uh, Odin site uh, key. Um <laughs> And it picked out a couple of items of interest in the main hall. So I, I was a good explorer and I checked everything and I read all the notes. And there's, there's a letter on one of the tables in there. Um, I forget what it says now, but it's something like, you know, I've seen evidence or of people hiding in the shadows or whatever it says. And that, for me, that triggered the option to start the hidden quest. Um, now I saw the word hidden and I thought I need to do this right away. So I, I rode the length and breadth of the, of the map doing the three sort of, um, getting the three keys you need to unlock the main location and everything. And it was quite satisfying to do that. Um, and see the little note at the end as a payoff for, for the note from AC. I think what stood out the most about the note from AC, and I brought this up immediately because, and I'm going to hold my hands up. I didn't do the the final ending for Hidden. I actually haven't completed it because I saw a lot of leaks for Cassandra being back in 
Valhalla. And I saw an article on IGN that read, um, how does Cassandra appear in Valhalla? And I sped read it, and I didn't see the spoiler tag. And it was legitly a walkthrough to the hidden quest. And then Aww. at the very end, it just had the one line at the bottom, she's not in the DLC. So Come I was like, on. pure clickbait. But I read it because I wanted to know if she was yeah. in it. I didn't expect yeah. there to be a whole quest. So I only saw a video a video two days later of the ending and it blew me away that you walk in and you walk out and the insignia is on fire and there's a letter. Someone's following Eivor and that was like... Pretty cool. Yeah. Why are they following us? And it kind of made me speculate, does the assassin follow Eivor home for future title, future DLC? Could be. I mean, you'd have to, to speculate further. I suppose each... I mean communications take time in the ninth century so they're obviously not going to be emailing each other but would the assassin not know of Hytham and Basim's trip to Norway and then to England um, it, is it setting up a future chapter um, will they meet it's, it'll be interesting to see how it goes um, certainly there have been a number of leaks recently and it's quite frustrating because um, yeah, I don't really want leaks for, for future stories and side content, whether it's a main DLC or just an individual story. I'd rather not have any um, speculation and leaks about the return of characters or what characters are going to do. I want to see the story when it's ready and then go and play it. Uh, I did enjoy the hidden one. I must, the hidden story, it did, it did tempt me straight away. I kind of ignored everything else. I completed the hidden story and then I explored the world and then I went and did the, uh, the linear main story last um as you were exploring as as the dlc played played out did you find any connections to unity obvious or otherwise i didn't know um i've looked but i haven't seen anything but i'm not skillful as most people i haven't actually googled this so i'm sure like you say there are probably very very smart people out there who um found all kinds of references there was three that i two that i spotted um well actually there's four one one that two that i didn't work on and two that i spotted so i'll, I'll go through what i spotted so right at the start of the dlc when we're in ravensthorpe and pierre and toka arrive uh, in the town and they have a feast that night and they're bringing in the wine and they're celebrating and there's a young boy that runs through the the crowd and he steals an apple um, off the table which I just thought was a great little callback to uh, little Arno and little Elise in uh, Versailles um, when uh, when she encourages him to steal the apple right at the start of the game. Um, and then I don't, I don't know if this was deliberate or not, but when you're in, I think it's when you're in Melon, there's a lot of talk of different members of the watch disappearing. And normally you would just say guards or soldiers. And I wondered why they kept using the word watch. Is it a reference to um, Arno's watch, or Arno's father's watch that he carries. That, so that always made me smile every time I heard them mention the word watch. I thought, yeah, that's a little reference to Charles Dorian's pocket watch that uh, got sadly broken. Um, the other two references that I saw, uh, well, there's the main sort of mystery in Saint-Denis, unpicking the, um, the Isu language, really for us as players, unless you're a, an expert or have a lot of time, you're not going to be un unpicking that code yourself. Uh, but we can go into the, the vaults or the crypts underneath the Saint-Denis church, mirroring what we can do in the Dead Kings DLC. But 
I, I kind of was a little disappointed. I would like to have explored a bit deeper underground or maybe even um, followed the path through the hallways, mirrored from what we had in Dead Kings into what we had in, in Siege of Paris so that we could be very clear we are walking where Arno will walk in 700 years, 800 years time. Uh, but it was quite simple and it was quite short. And it was a little bit disappointing. I would have liked something for us sort of average players to pick out um, as they were exploring San Denis to go, hey, yeah, there's a little reference. There's a little reference. But unfortunately, they were those, those references in the codes, they were pretty hardcore. Um, and I certainly didn't contribute to any of the work to unpick them. I was quite happy sitting back and watching other members of the community do it. And the fourth reference I spotted, and this was something that um, Sebastian, Memento Gallery, um, I think he... He made a short video about it and shared it on Twitter. When Eivor is talking to Siegfried about the first target, Engelwyn, there's a conversation between the two of them, just a few sentences, and it mirrors Belek's conversation with Arno when they're on the rooftops planning the assassination of Seavere. Um, and it's just a couple of lies, you know, you, you need to plan your own route and do it on your own. And, and Eivor and Arno both say, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I know what I'm doing kind of thing. And it was just a nice little mirroring of those two sort of uh, events between Eivor and Arno. So those were the those were the two references I spotted and then two references that other members of the community have, um, have pulled out, which was quite nice. I'd have liked a little more. I, I'm always up for a Unity reference. I think the biggest Unity reference that I speculated with a few friends and was so heartbroken that it wasn't there, is the Sword of Eden. Now, I know it would have been over the top to do it, but Unity did mention uh, Unity's first draft, if I remember correctly, was following the Sword of Eden through time and how it came to Paris. I think that was the first draft for Unity. And I thought, wouldn't it have been such a cool reference for Eivor to find a, a Sword of Eden, not understand what it is, and just put it back in its place. Even if it was just an interaction, like she doesn't understand what the sword is and why it's glowing, but she just puts it back and walks off because she doesn't understand what it is. That would have just been perfect. Or you see it through a crack in the wall, but you can't get to it. You know, yeah, like you say, some visual or really obvious interactable moment where you see it, that would have been great. I've heard about this first draft, and I must go and find more about it, see uh, see what it was. But yeah, definitely, um, would you say a missed opportunity there? Or is it better to leave some things unwritten? Mm, I think it's a difficult one. I think, I think it's a bit of both. It is a missed opportunity, yes. But at the same time, probably not worth the time putting it in it, because Unity is still highly underrated. So with all the playbase coming from the new games they may have not actually played unity so they wouldn't like oh don't really understand it but i love to make a shameless plug to anyone listening <laughs> yes if you haven't played unity you really need to play unity it's you do. awesome <laughs> unity actually siege of pirates got me playing unity to be fair this is the way my friend <laughs> What else have we missed? I think that covers... did, you, did you finish all of the stuff for Pierre? I think we've spoken about Pierre. Like I said, I only did a couple of the um, the missions for him. Uh, I've only done a couple as well. Um, I, I enjoyed them. I think they're really one of the best content added because they're kind of my sort of style. That like, you know, you can go solo or you can go a team. It's just 
France has a big issue with me that I can't shake. And it's a very silly one that I'm admitting, but I talked about it in the first um, deep dive. It's just the fact that no one attacks me on sight. Unless, oh, yes. Unless you don't aim a weapon at them, unless you don't go in a restricted area, because you're new to this land, it's logical that no one attacks you. But when you look at Wrath of the Druids, when you look at all of England, when you look at Norway, you're always getting attacked. It's True. second nature. Yeah. You walk from Ravensfall to London, you're going to get jumped 20 times. Just walking around entire France and not getting jumped by guards felt so surreal that when I went into these camps and cleared them out like a ninja, because that's what I can do, they didn't feel any risk-reward because they're not going to start on me unless I go inside the red area. So as long as I stay out the red area and shoot them from afar, they're not really going to be that interested because they're not going to come out the area they're programmed to. So I just shot a lot of guards from afar, one-shot kills, and just did the same trick over and over again. Understood. Understood. Yeah, it was certainly a lower risk area, wasn't it? It was pretty safe just to roam around. Um, I'll tell you one thing I've just thought of as you were speaking. What did you think of the new abilities? We had um, Ghoul's Breath. We had the Rat Kill ability that I can't remember the name of. Um, and there was a third one. What was the third one? Um, I haven't tested the new abilities. I haven't I used found the rat them. one a couple of times. That was quite fun. <laughs> I was when I was going into uh, Odo's palace. I think it was in um, in the city. Um, I used the rat ability a few times to distract some guards and get them out of my way so I could sneak through, and that worked quite well from a rooftop. I must say. I think it's hard because I'm so addicted to Origins, his playstyle, where there wasn't a mana wheel. All the abilities were passive. That I've grown accustomed to now making a locked assassin. I don't change Avar's abilities. They're always the same. Feign death, harpoon, um, the slow down time one for assassination, and I can't remember what the fourth melee one is. And the range is always smoke, poison, because I love the miasma ability. Uh, smoke, poison, call friend, because you always need a wolf to be by your side. Of course, always need a wolf. And the slow down time shots with the bow, because I always like to slow down time and then shoot one after one's headshots because it feels more realistic. It's like yeah. Avos slowing the breath down and picking targets instead of just highlighting all four and just firing a four hours at once. But that's all I've used, and I've been using that for about 100 hours now. It's funny you mention that because... Um... This is not sort of specific to Siege of Paris, but I, I used the rat ability a few times to try it out. Um, but actually, in Valhalla, I re- apart from throwing axes, I rarely use the abilities at all um, because I just find I don't need them. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Probably makes my combat a bit boring. But um, yeah, I wanted to try the the rat one just because it looked like fun, and it was quite fun to see all these little rats appear and crawling all over the bad guy, and and then he dies or he's at your way. But yeah, it's uh, it would certainly make you shudder if you're if you're not um, not happy with seeing rats. But um, yeah, like you, I I rarely use um, most of the abilities in Valhalla. Um, they're just not needed. I just want that ranged assassination option like we were speaking about last week. I to be honest, I just want passives like 
the best thing about Origins, and I don't see why they had to change it, it's the only pet peeve I have with the Mythology Trilogy, is you have smoke bombs and poison, I think it's, oh, you have a torch in one hand, which is just left on the D-pad because I use controller, and then you have smoke bombs and poison sleep arrows as your other tools, and the rest is just passives. That's yeah. all the skill tree was, was just passives. Passives in if you get more loot when you assassinate an enemy. And then I really loved the skill tree for Valhalla was a lot of it was passives. Like all of it was just passives. And I was like, that's what I want. Finding the abilities, logical. You find a book, you learn from it. That makes sense. Yeah. But I don't want them. <laughs> it sounds stupid, but if I'm crafting rations, I want to craft smoke bombs. If I'm crafting rations, I want to craft whistle darts. I don't need abilities, and that's just a pet peeve I have. If Origins can do it, why can't the rest? Mm. And that's just kind of why I don't really like them that much. Understood. I suppose you wonder if they had to follow on from Odyssey, which is, of course, very heavy on abilities, active and passive. Um, although I must admit, when I play Odyssey, I don't use the active abilities. It's a lot of fun just with the passive abilities. Um, it's certainly more challenging. Um, and maybe sense of Valhalla. You don't need the active abilities, that's for sure. Um, what I was wondering was, how would you compare, how would you rate Siege of Paris compared to Wrath of the Druids? There are no werewolves in Francia, so that, that's a big negative, as we know. Um, judging by how I'm not too sold on the story, I'm probably going to rate it higher than Wrath of the Druids. Now, I love Rafa Druid's story. I loved how Werewolves was given a very basic explanation at the start. It's a fog. Makes sense. Just the pet peeve I have is the map size and the intervals between interactions and no interactions. It took me 30 minutes to do a 20-second clip of taking out four <laughs> guards yeah. with a smoke arrow. 30 minutes between combat is annoying. Like, you don't even get that in Valhalla. In the main game, you don't get 30 minutes between kills. That's weird. But it's just so Roman hills and Ireland. No one's there. Whereas Ireland was beautiful to explore, but you make a good point. Could it have been... Could they have just taken out some of the empty space, shrunk it all down a bit, and made for a more engaging game? Whereas the size of uh, Paris... Yeah, I don't like that guards don't start on you. That annoys the heck out of me. But exploring it is fun. You know, you see everything and you get to keep this atmosphere. And if you start a fight, at least it's fun. Because, you know, you're not going to... You've not spent an hour going from Mulan to somewhere else. <laughs> meeting nothing but a hedge. You know, you've done yes. ten minutes across the map. And you've picked a fight with 40 guards because you want to. That's fun. That's Assassin's Creed. I remember going around Rome in, in Assassin's Creed 2 killing guards just for fun. Yeah. To start a yeah. fight. And that's what Siege of Paris allows me to do. They're not going to attack me. But if I attack them, I can get 40 at one, take them all out, and I'll feel like an Ezio again or an Altair. And that's just why I probably gave it a pro. Just And unique assassinations. Absolutely. Definitely a big draw. I mean, I, I enjoyed both of the stories. Um, but I'm... I'm definitely my opinion is changing over time. I'm I'm preferring shorter, more contained stories, and Siege of Paris delivered that. That's for sure. 
I think I just want, um, I think if I could change anything in Paris, I just want to be noticed a bit more. I want guards to pick a fight with me. Yeah. Plus, also, if you're going to have choices in a game, then really, as you annoy Charles, then your reputation should go up. And as we've discussed in a, yeah. I think it was just a phone call, they should have brought an Ezio mechanic back. And that is Town Criers. The more. Oh, that would have been great, wouldn't it? Wouldn't the, more we, great? the more we annoy Charles, or the more we just do something stupid like. Oh, that guard's not attacking me, so I'm going to point an arrow at his head. The more town cries, like, look out for this northerner. She's doing this, this, and this. And then guards get more interested in you. But if you bribe him, or kill him, because he's not a civilian, so just take him out back and do him in. Absolutely. You go back to have a neutral state. It's similar to a mercenary, ra- ma- uh, mercenary system, but without a nemesis system. So it's a bit of a bit smaller and a bit more fun because you can choose to do it or not. And I would want I like that. But when when are you doing game design? I'm I'm looking forward to this. I'm I failed GCSE art, so that's wrong. Uh, you know, there's 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 time. There's always time. And my friend said to me, Hey Declan, I'm gonna teach you how to code a website. My dyslexic brain went, oh, nope. Oof, no, I don't write code either. No thanks. <laughs> people who write code are like people who play games with controllers. Their minds function on a higher level. <laughs> I, I actually did build a website. It's actually a website that I built. Oh, nice. I think it's actually still around unless you shut it down, but it took me 14 hours to build one page because my dyslexic brain kept getting coding wrong. Oh, that's got to be tricky. I mean, yeah, code has got to be 100% correct, otherwise it won't won't work so yeah that would certainly be tricky oh yeah i think um and this is way off topic but i think i put a, a c instead of a k in one of the lines did you think won't do much oh no when you press the hyperlink to go to facebook it actually for some reason took you to youtube but it oh, wasn't nice. even a, wasn't even the youtube channel for the activity it was a youtube channel for some random other channel we don't know how it got mixed up or how it worked it, i just missed a k but it still took me to some random as YouTube channel. Fantastic. And you've never coded since, I'm guessing. Uh, no, just cheesy mobile <laughs> games where they're like, practice coding. Yeah, I'll practice coding. Yeah, Not given. Gone. Yeah, yeah. Leave, we'll, we'll, leave, I tell you, we'll leave the coding to the to the to the professionals, and we'll just play the games and then uh, share our opinions afterwards. But they can hire me for ideas if they want. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm always available. Just. Come my way, give me some ideas, I'll relay back to you and everyone else for make sure the law's correct and give you the ideas. Ubisoft, hire us. <laughs> Better still, hire the podcast as an official Ubisoft podcast. That's what they should do. Now you're talking. Why not? Why, Why not? Just Ubisoft be like, hey, you're an official podcast, here's some money, do what you want. Yep. <laughs> Cheers. Solid. We're retiring. We, believe we might even make this professional. What do you reckon? Yeah, if, we'll, we'll keep it casual. Hey, 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 if a game developer turns my podcast into official Assassin's Creed with a little blue tick on Twitter, not going to put that down. <laughs> I want that blue Twitter tick. Uh, happy days, mate. That's great. That's great. So, final thoughts on Siege of Paris. I mean, I, I enjoyed it very much. Um, I enjoyed the story. The world was really beautiful. I enjoyed the assassinations. Um, I thought it was kind of a it didn't have, I know it didn't have Templars in it, which is absolutely fair criticism or Order of Ancients. Let's get our terminology right. 
but I thought it was a pretty good self-contained DLC. It was an Assassin's Creed DLC. That's all I'll say. That was an Assassin's Creed DLC. Just give us more of that. Even if the next one is blooming mythology, Melfine through Odin's memories, if I don't get Odin to unique kill, I don't know, what's it called? Um, a Jotunheim or a big werebear in Asgard or whatever, I'm not going to be impressed. Like, imagine him just like 300 style standing there and as a bear jumps him, he just plunges his spear up as a unique kill. <laughs> Perfect. Fantastic. People are going to think I'm crazy at the end of this. <laughs> no, it's all good. I mean, let's. It is a good point because we, from the from the reveal in in the summer, we're kind of assuming the next DLC will be Muspelheim, and therefore will be mythological, like Fate of Atlantis kind of thing. Are we assuming that? Or are we going to go back to the Asgard maps and, and Jotunheim maps that we've already been to? Or will it be somewhere entirely new? It kind of suggested like a, a lava-based world, didn't it, from that very brief glimpse we got. So maybe it'll be an entirely new map. I think Melfheim is like their version of Hell. Right. Which, if, which, if I'm allowed to quickly plug this in, because I want credit, um, we are 53 minutes in, it's the 8th and the 9th, I'm getting credit for this. The Melfheim DLC, in my opinion... Will be a memory of Harvey only. It will not be a memory of Avar, but it'll be Loki remembering Ragnarok, the Toby catastrophe. Because I believe, and everyone calls me crazy, that the reason they went out with weapons at the end of the truth video is there's something more than just a solar flare out there. I think they're going to war. Which makes sense. They've already got themselves secure. Prophecy stated the sons are bringing Ragnarok. You know, the World Serpent kills Thor. Fenrir kills Odin. But they're all Loki's legit children. So at the end of the world, they're the ones that are targeting everyone. So I'm hoping it's actually a memory of Loki witnessing his son kill Thor at the end of the world. And just this is the memory we actually play through that. The first time we ever get to play a true Isu DLC. That's what I'm wanting. That would be fantastic. I that so you think we you think then we wouldn't play as Avor slash Havi. You think we would play as Loki. Yes. I'm thinking we'll play as Loki, just how when you unlock Harvey at the end and you play the uh, Animus memories as Harvey. I mean, as Loki. As as Basim. As Basim. Yeah, well. that's a good point because we have Basim now in the Animus. He can experience the bleeding effect. He can go further back into his repressed or whatever the right word is memories. Very interesting. Well, you heard it here first. What is the date? Eighth of September. Yeah. Fifty three minutes in. Declan's calling it. Plus, if I like to get a little bit grounded to make it more grounded. Um. Harvey does mention he's been using animuses before because of his Isu knowledge. It is possible that Avon sometimes life could have another potion, just like she did with Asgard. So the world she sees is an Asgardian world. Like it's fake, it's mythological. But we get another truth scenario where we see it through a rose-tinted glasses. So he's shown us Avon's memory, but we still get the truth, which is an actual real battle for Loki's eyes. 
and that's what I'm expecting to see. Even if it's just true videos, I think we're going to get it. I think we're going to get Loki witnessing the death of Odin because he's still pissed at Odin for killing or locking up Fenrir or somebody else. So, just it's a mad theory. All right. I wonder how long we'll have to wait. What do you? What, what's your prediction? I mean, New Year, Spring next year, maybe. Spring. Yeah. Um. Same time when as Rathodruids. When did Rathodruids was spring, wasn't it? Was it May, April? May the thirteenth, I think. May. It's late as May. Okay. I think it was May. Yeah. Yeah. I think April was the original date, but then it got pushed back. Understood. So yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say May next year. Make a lot of sense. All right. We'll put ten pound down on it, shall we? Yeah, if I had ten pound on it. So I think that's all we've got time for this week. So if um, thank you all for joining, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you've got any thoughts, you know where to hit us up at uh, Assassin's Creed Let's Talk at gmail.com. Just hit me up with any ideas and feedback. You can also reach out to Twitter AC Let's Talk or James's Twitter at. James Tiddlyquid. Love the name. So you can reach out to <laughs> us, fire off any ideas you want. Um, if you want to be on the show, just reach out to one of us and we'll always welcome you on the show. If you check out my pinned comments, and I'm going to start pu- plugging this, there is a really handy guide in the Linktree link for how to be a guest on the show and how it works if you're very curious. So we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening. See you soon.